Janeway Fox Beard Lock is acting very weird Captain Pike Crystal's wife Klingons and the afterlife Boimler Tendy's dog Ransom is very harsh Four drive Black alert Giorgio has gone berserk Teacher bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red, Zeta's cat, Kempak's hat, Q has had enough of that, Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go! We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is February 15th, 2024. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That means we are live. That means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking right now, 646-668-2433. And you're going to want to do that because we're going to be talking about Section 31. That's right. The Oscar-winning Michelle Yeoh is going to be back as Emperor Giorgio in her own made-for-movie television series, which will be exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. And we're going to be talking about the history of Section 31, uh, some of what we've heard about the movie, and uh, what we think, what we'd like to see in the movie, where we think it might take place, and what we think it might be about. So, if you're interested in Section 31, then this is definitely, definitely your show. But wait, there's more. We also have our Star Trek birthdays, we have our Star Trek news, and we're going to do our fan shout-outs. So, we have a lot to get to. Before we get rolling, though, I want to introduce you guys to my awesome, always incredible Trek experts. And we'll start out with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing all right. Uh, we're getting some mild weather now. So things are looking up. Looking forward to talking more Trek. Trek talking is always fun. And now we're going to swing that camera all the way out to Portland, where I have my triple play, starting out with David the Donut Guy. How you doing, David? Uh, well, Section 31 might be listening, but uh, that's good news for us, because more audience, right? That's right. We like Section 31 with the black <laughs> badges. <laughs> and we also have with us our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? I love Section 31, and I have no quarrels with them. They are a great organization. Are you, were you hired yes. by them? You sounded a little, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are programmed <laughs> <laughs> like the Stepford Wives. <laughs> and we also have with us our very own Paul, the toy guy. How you doing, Paul? You know, man, I'm good. And here's the thing, right? Okay, I really I love and support and endorse autonomous intelligence and counterintelligence agencies without question. But it's really hard to take Section 31 seriously. Do you know why? Because there's never been a Section 31 toy or action figure made ever. So from my perspective, it's really kind of like they don't even exist. I mean, <laughs> where's the evidence that they've even done anything other than sit on their ass in some cubicle? I do not. So I think we have a lot to unpack, gentlemen, would be my call. And until I see, like, a, 
a Section 31 figure in a plastic clamshell in Target, I cannot believe it. You know, maybe uh, maybe uh, Philippa Georgiou can be the first if we cross our fingers right. Uh, you know, if oh. somebody ever picks up that pesky license. <laughs> they never made a Sloan from Deep Space Nine? Negative. Wow. Okay. Ah, yeah. It's only available for Section 31 units. Yeah, they, they, they were only released through Taco Bell at a limited promotion, but it was very unsuccessful. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, what can I tell you? It just didn't catch oh, me. So. They must have made a Malcolm a Malcolm from Enterprise. He was in Section 31. I guess, Malcolm but he Reed. doesn't really have the uniform, right? Unless I see you in your, like, True. your black fascist, you know. I mean, they're supposed to evoke fascism, right? That's the whole thing with right. their... Uh, the regalia. So, and Malcolm's kind of a cuddly teddy bear. He's not really as, uh, <laughs> he doesn't really represent the kind of, you know, cloak and dagger mindset that Section 31 is meant to evoke. And I'm getting way ahead of myself. You're getting way ahead of <laughs> you. You better, you better stop there, brother. Right. This is the beat. No, no, I'm sorry. I have, I, have a, I, have a, I have a special medical condition. He's just, he's trying to prime the audience and get them to call in with, with their opinion. Exactly. Well, there's one thing we exactly. do know about Section Party started right now. Let's why are we waiting? Yeah. Let's go. There is one thing we know about Section Thirty One. It's all a lie. It's a lie. It never happened. So before we before we get rolling with our Section Thirty One conversation, um, you guys can can go and visit trektalking.com, and there's all kinds of great stuff there, including all of our podcasts. You can find them all there at trektalking.com. And uh, there's all kinds of blogs and fun stuff that you can check out while you're there. Um, and in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the Facebook emblem. You just click on that, and boom, it magically takes you to our Facebook page. Why do you want to go to our Facebook page? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because when you get there, you're going to see pinned at the top of the page to live long and prosper. And the question, where are you listening from? And all you need to do is go there and tell us. I'm going to try to get my attention, though. And, and Eric, how do people get my attention on the Facebook page with over 217,000 followers? Well, the best way to do it is to send you a private message with um, lurid pictures. But if that doesn't work, then you can simply put lots and lots of emojis next to your post. And uh, that should pretty much take care of it because uh, Jim's kind of like uh, – a toddler. He's, you know, he's attracted by lots and lots of colors and little <laughs> things that he wants to put in his mouth. <laughs> that's right. Or send you just leave a message with your bank routing number and account number. That works too. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that works. Yeah. Yeah. Also, another uh, thing that works is Section to... Thirty One uh, wanted for hire. Yeah, that'll you know, work and you too. could suddenly find yourself a top fan. I mean, it could happen, right? Just a few <laughs> little nine, nine digits in a row. And that's all it takes. You never can tell. And and as an added bonus, while you're at our trektalking.com page, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a little blue talkback mic. You can click on that mic, and you have two minutes to leave us a message, and I guarantee you that will make you a top fan. So there's several ways that you can get on our fan list. And uh, once you do that, you want to look for a heart. Next to your comment from yours truly, Uncle Jim, and then you want to tune into the future podcast because you are going to be immortalized like these lucky fans that we're about to mention. Eric, you want to get us started with our fan shout-outs? 
I absolutely do. Our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Chris Corzo Verone, who is saying hello to us from the beautiful Bavarian region of Germany in the city of Augsburg. Uh, Live long and prosper, Chris says to us, and gives us the same hand gesture. I say peace and long life to you, and thank you so much for checking in with us and for representing Trek Talking out there in Germany. We really appreciate lots of supporters in Germany for Trek Talking, and uh, maybe you know some. And if you don't, uh, you know, pass the link along to a friend. Thank you so much for saying hi. Also saying hello this week to Dario Hernan Garcia, who's saying hello to us from Buenos Aires, of course, in the beautiful country of Argentina, sending us the little Argentinian flag emoji there with the golden sun. Hello to you, Dario, and kapla to you and all of your exploits down there in that amazing country. Hello this week to uh, Hen Seegers who's saying hello to us from the Netherlands, uh, South Holland, in the great city of Valkenburg. And I have to tell you that, and you are not the first person to say hello to us from Valkenburg. I know because I've looked up that little portion of the Netherlands on the map before. And uh, we've had three or four folks uh, from your region say hello to us. Uh, and I double-checked. It's not you saying hello over and over again. So <laughs> pretty cool. There's this little contingent of Trek Talking listeners uh, in that very kind of not remote, but just kind of separated region of Holland. Uh, so thank you so much for supporting us and for saying hello. And uh, we send lots of love out to you. And finally, on my list, we're saying hello this week to Bera Yomanov, uh, who's saying hello to us for Brno in the Czech Republic. And this one, you know, Bara, uh, you put in the extra effort. You got a smiley face of live long and prosper and two Czech flags. That'll get her done. Hello to you, and thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Charles, take it away, brother. Thank you very much, Eric. Let's first do a warm welcome to Dorothy Lacey Kurtz from suburban Philadelphia. <clears throat> and then I got some top fans. Top fan Kenneth Quintos from the USA, Southern New Jersey. Welcome, Kenneth. And a welcome to Mary Curtis from Salt Lake City, Utah. How's the weather up there in Salt Lake? And then, wow, first time I think I've ever really seen emojis on my post. A top fan from Luis Onya, who gives me four big hand claps and says they're in the deep in the heart of Texas. Deep in the heart of Texas. Man, I don't get to get you to get emojis, so wow. David, after that excitement, what's on your list? All right, yeah, so um, I got a top fan here from Jeff Byrne from Denver, Colorado. Sorry if I butchered the last name there. I think it's Byrne? Byrne? I don't know. Burn. <laughs> burn. Something. Feel the burn, baby. <laughs> All right, and next one is Brenda Hargrove Jenkins from Spokane, Washington, USA. And next on my list is Walter Distra from Bellingham, Washington, USA. Got another top fan from uh, Miami, Florida, USA, and saying hello to Peter Leon. And uh, Paul, who's on your list? Thanks, David. First of all, I'd like to give a mighty hello to our good friend Farnaz Piep from Tehran in Iran. Uh, 
where Star Trek and Mr. Spock have proven to be very popular, according to Farnaz, which should be no surprise. Um, it's well known that due to Iran's uh, cultural identity being very inextricably linked to its mythology, and many uh, heroic and fantastical stories, that science fiction is very popular in that country. Uh, very, very popular. A lot of people don't realize it, but I think Star Trek quite much more so even than, uh, than Star Wars in that particular country. So it's great to hear from you. Uh, Farnaz, and thanks for reminding us that uh, that uh, love of Star Trek is a global phenomenon. We all have those things in common, which is great. Uh, I'd like to say hello also to a great fan of ours in Stupava, Czech Republic, flag flying proudly. Radim Block is saying hello with the live long and prosper uh, signatory uh, right there next to the Czech flag. So great to hear from you, Radim. Thank you for being a fan, and thanks for listening to our show. Uh, one of the most amazing places in the universe, a uh, longtime home for legendary science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke, Colombo, Sri Lanka. And we're saying hello to our friend Amila Panchami Dadalaj Pereira. Hello, Amila. It is great to hear from you. You are in a place that is steeped with great science fiction significance. Amazing part of the world, uh, very utopian in some places. So a lot of great things happening there. Um, a beautiful country I would love to be able to visit someday myself. And finally for me, it is time to go back over to the continent and say hello to top fan Magdalena Joost from Kielce, Poland, with the flag flying right alongside there. Great to hear from you, Magdalena. I hope you are hunkering in tonight, wherever you may be there in Kyose for an evening of uh, perhaps uh, Star Trek watching, uh, old reruns, and uh, checking out our wonderful podcast. So great to hear from you. Thanks for being a top fan and supporting our show and all things from the USP. Take it away, Uncle Jim. Well, you, you, I've got a bunch of top fans as well, and you guys might be wondering, what is all this top fan stuff? Well... Funny you should ask. Well, actually, I asked, but it doesn't matter. When you go to our Facebook page, I post all kinds of questions on there. Like, for instance, there's one up there right now asking you to score the TOS episode, The Empath, on a scale of 1 to 10. So <laughs> you go and you, and, you know, 10 is the best, remember. And uh, you go and you, you answer that question. And the more that you interact with our Facebook page and answer questions and fill out polls, uh, the more points that you get, I'm not sure how, how many points you have to get when face, for Facebook to give you that badge, but you earn those badges by interacting with us on our Facebook page. So that's how you become a top fan. That just means that you're interacting with us a lot on Facebook. So with that being said, I want to say hello, thank you, and kapwa to top fan Anne Boudre, who's listening to us right now in northern Vermont, USA. That's right, hometown girl, northern Vermont. I'm I'm in central Vermont, so uh, maybe up in Burlington, maybe Essex, Essex Junction, maybe. But thank you for listening, Anne. We also have another top fan, Catherine Hyla, who's listening to us in New Jersey, U.S. of A. And oh my God, another top fan. Does it ever end? We want to say Hank. Uh, thank you to Michael E. Sapita. So I can't read that. Spidal, who's listening to us in Queens, New York, U.S. of A. Thank you so much. And last but not least, we want to say thank you and kapla to Joanne Icono Brewing, 
who's listening to us in New York. Don't know where, somewhere in New York. Elusive like Bigfoot, I suppose. All right, guys, so that finishes up our fan shout-out. If you'd like to be future on a fan shout-out, head over to our Facebook page. It's really simple, painless, and fun. All right, guys, we're going to talk about Section 31 right now, and uh, you can give us a call at 646-668-2433 if you'd like to join into the conversation. I did a little bit of research on Section 31 here. Uh, So uh, Michelle Yeoh's Section 31 movie is entered production. It's worth revisiting everything known about Starfleet's top-secret organization. The Star Trek Discovery spinoff movie will see Emperor Philippa Georgiou, played by the Oscar-winning Michelle Yeoh, join Section 31, presumably after being returned to the 23rd century by the Guardian of Forever, Carl. I just love that name for the Guardian, Carl. So anyways, Carl sends her back. Except for Yo, Star Trek Section 31 cast is all new to the franchise, allowing the movie to reveal more about Starfleet's secretive organization. Section 31 originated in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It was introduced in the Deep Six Episode 18, Episode Inquisition. The covert agency attempted to recruit Dr. Julian Bashir as a member of Section 31, but he refused. Bashir's commitment to exposing the controversial agency led to Section 31 being deemed a rogue organization in the 24th century. The original Starfleet Charter is where Star Trek's mission statement to boldly go where no man has gone before originated. However, it's also where the shadowy intelligence agency got its name. Article 14, Section 31 of the Starfleet Charter made allowances for extraordinary measures to be taken during extreme threats. Star Trek Enterprise revealed that Lieutenant Malcolm Reed had previously served in Section 31 before he was assigned to the Enterprise NX-01. This established that from the very early days of humanity's exploration of the universe, a secret group of intelligence operatives was quietly strategizing responses for potential hostile actions. In the 23rd century, Section 31 experimented with time travel in direct response to the Klingon Empire's temporal experimentation. Perhaps looking to avoid another temporal Cold War, Section 31 hired Federation scientists Gabriel and Mike Burnham to work on the Daedalus project. Section 31 is an autonomous agency. This allows Starfleet Command to retain plausible deniability for some of Section 31's worst crimes. Some of these crimes include the attempted genocide of the changelings and the framing of an innocent Romulan politician in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's a fate! There are hints in Star Trek Strange New World that the organization sanctioned the use of biological augmentation during the Klingon War in the form of Dr. Joseph Menbenga's super soldier serum. Captain Christopher Pike was furious at the human cost of Section 31's reckless use of the AI control system. Starfleet accepted Pike's criticism and committed to overhauling the intelligence organization by putting Ash Tyler in charge. While more transparency over Section 31's actions was promised, it's unclear exactly how that was manifested in the 23rd century. 
Section 31 did not appear in Star Trek TOS, suggesting that they continue to operate in the shadows, despite the assurances to Pike at the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. And that's the information or I was suggesting able that to no one had written them yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, um, that's the information that I was able to dig up on Section 31. And as far as not, I think that Paul's exactly right. It wasn't mentioned on TOS because it hadn't been written yet. In the chronology of Star Trek, they were around during TOS because Discovery takes place before TOS. And so they were around, but they just weren't mentioned because they hadn't been written yet. But It also hasn't I, been written yet in the TNG era either during the 90s and 80s. Well, they were on Deep Space Nine, which kind of happened in the same you know, time. So I think it's safe to assume that they were around during TNG as well. Well, yeah. But I mean, like the but, first part of TNG, I don't think they were written in yet. No. No, they were not. Yeah, but there's never David's so, right because there's never any reference to them on, on Next Gen at all. So it's kind of like one of those things you have well, to just sort of like, like when you're looking at a you know a modern art painting, right? You just squint at it and go, yeah, yeah, I see it. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> you know, well, Thomas Riker, maybe I don't know. Well, yeah, if I mean Enterprise up, and everything came later. So the first time we actually ever heard about Section Thirty One wasn't until we got to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah. Because aren't we kind of like retconning to assume that it goes back when it's written yeah. in modern life? Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like, you know. Right. It's so the chronological, it. like what happened chronologically in real life and then what happened chronologically in the in the universe. Right. It's kind of like right. saying, like, okay, they invented toothpaste in the 1940s, so, but if somebody goes back in time, then everybody in Neanderthal days would have, of Had course, to. brushed their teeth. Yeah. yeah, right. I don't know, man. No, I, I think it's better than that, Paul, because I actually think that later – no, 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 but seriously, like I think that later shows have taken pains to try and fit somewhat into it. And one of the things that we should probably talk about – maybe this is where Jim's going, I'm not sure – but is just how Section 31 has changed throughout the years and kind of the the role that they've taken in Starfleet. And actually, you know, the Enterprise years were kind of cool because they took that – story of section 31 as it was in deep space nine and they took it back kind of to its origins and showed how it did start as a you know i don't want to say like soldiers but kind of like secret secret uh but always there type of organization and like it was forced to become more transparent over time um, yeah, so, anyway. because initially it was when they first for Deep Space Nine, right? I mean, it's uh, initially, um, you know, if you look at like, you know, Iris Stephen Bear, who basically came up with it, and Ronald D. Moore, right? They they were looking at it as being a fascist organization, right? Um, uh, Bob Blackman, who was a costume designer back then, he, he deliberately chose you know black leather costumes for Section Thirty One agents because the whole intent was to have them appear, you know, very fascistic, right? Um, really dark, severe, hostile-looking uh, costumes, right? That was definitely you know the whole idea was you know they're you know they're an organization that isn't constrained by ethics. <laughs> everything that comes along with that, you know, uh, that ideal there. So it's, well, it's, and it's, I it's think, interesting to see how different writers have chosen to look at that. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, I, I don't know, even when Deep Space Nine was first coming out and I was just a, a you know, 
a gentleman in my like early adulthood years, it was pretty transparent to me that Section 31, at least at the time, seemed to be allegory for organizations like the CIA in real life, who you know to some totally. degree operate with a certain amount of autonomy and. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's checks and balances, but I'm also sure that some of the, you know, sometimes you don't have to go through the checks and balances. Um, right. So I always saw Section 31 as kind of this, like, it's a way, sorry, we're getting into the weeds here, Jim, but like, it's a no, way, yeah, it's a way for Starfleet to um, take their purity and their utopianism and their kind of like idealism and still have a rug under which they can sweep all the dirty stuff. Right. And it and it all comes from supposedly at least in section thirty one, right? I mean, um you know the extreme measures thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like it comes from like a Starfleet charter, Article fourteen, section thirty one, right? That the agents have quoted, right? It says that uh, in times of extreme threat, extraordinary measures can be taken, right? And then you see extraordinary measures being things that like Eric's talking about that we would see going on in the real world, mirroring things like preemptive assassinations, uh, sabotaging an enemy's installation, biological or technological warfare, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're certainly no further away from that stuff now. So it's, it's, uh, and we're probably going to see more things like that in the, you know, future we live in currently. So it's an interesting thing to, to, to talk about for sure. I mean, well, in real life, you know, if you if you had to activate this thing, let's say a, there's no extreme threat for X number of years, and then all of a sudden extreme threat pops up. It's not like you can create the organization at the moment that it is needed. So that's why these organizations exist in perpetuity, even though technically they're only mandated during times of emergency, because, you know, you can't ramp up quick enough when poop hits the fan, so to speak. The closest thing would be like the, the homeland security thing that evolved after 9-11, right? Yeah. I mean, that came into being pretty quickly, but, you know, but in extreme crisis. But, you know, then it's like the problem is if you create an organization like this, right, and then you find that, okay, now things are calm and we don't need it anymore. These organizations have a habit of wanting to make sure that they preserve themselves yeah. and don't go away, and they still get funding, right? They still get everything that they need to – operate with impunity. And so a lot of times it's the cliche of putting the toothpaste back in the tube, right? Once you've turned on the murderous robot, how do you shut it off, right? So I think that's the problem the Federation's faced with, right? It's just like they're working the shadows. You you don't actually think that it costs $50 for a hammer and $300 for a toilet seat, do you? (laughs) Only in government contracts. (laughs) Exactly. Not so much, man, no. No, but I, I, I had and, read you know, somewhere that uh, Star Trek VI, the assassination attempt in Star Trek VI, was perpetrated by Section Thirty One as well. I haven't been able to verify that. Well, that I would argue against that because there were actually motives that were revealed in there that had to do with Admiral Cartwright and that sort of stuff that I think aren't necessarily Section Thirty One based. Uh, we we could do a show on that. Let's do a show on that. Yeah, I mean, but what, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, so at any rate, when they're introduced in Deep Space Nine, they're introduced at a time that this extreme threat does exist, right? Because it's the Dominion situation, and so yeah. that seems to be consistent with what the Charter says. Okay, some really nasty stuff. Like we don't know who's who. 
this is the time that Section 31 starts to do their thing. And, you know, Luther Sloan was a pretty creepy guy, and I thought he actually uh, – I can't remember that actor's name off the top of my head, but um, – The great William Sadler. There we go. There we go. And he yeah, was just – masterful fan- actor. Really, really great. And fantastic in that role, right? Because the, the what you are supposed to get out of the organization is what you got out of that character, which is you never know exactly what they're thinking or who they're manipulating. <laughs> right? Is it your decision, or did they convince you to make that decision? Um, yeah. uh, I love nothing's that. How, nothing's how it appears at face value, which is great, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's always the best. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just like uh, I think the 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 way to I think to squeeze the most fun out of Section Thirty One, and I really hope this is what they do with uh, the Michelle Yeoh thing, right? Is is it's it's Star Trek's way of doing a spy genre, right? Of doing you know like a, you know not all spies are evil. Sometimes they are up to, you know, necessary things that, you know, help preserve, uh, you know, uh, your way of life, right? And I think it would be really interesting if they explore that in this upcoming movie, right, to show that, okay, there's, there's various factions and various mindsets in Section 31. Some people have great motives for being there because they believe in trying to help the greater good, and other folks are, you know, in it for their own agenda and should not be trusted. Well, you know what they say, Paul, with extreme responsibility comes extreme power. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. And we know, yeah. I guess we know in terms of who's in this thing, I mean, if you want to start diving into your questions about, like, when does this happen? So we know that uh, Michelle Yeoh is the only one who's returning, supposedly. So that means no Ash Tyler. So we know we're not uh, yeah. back where we were, right? Guys, I have uh, I have a caller on the line. Oh, cool. Hmm. Yeah, this is uh, yeah. Let me see if I can get the phone. You know, sometimes I get these gremlins in this thing, and it don't want to work. Hey, J Dog, can you hear us? No, I can't hear you. You can't hear us, guys. This is my <laughs> buddy J Dog. He's up what? in Albany. Yes, I hear you. Hi, Good guys. old J Dog. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, one of the things with Section 31, though, is we have to, uh, it was really prevalent in Discovery. They had black badges, the whole thing. In fact, the Discovery's uh, call numbers ended in 31. Uh, So it really came to light in Discovery and uh, ended with, uh, with the AI at the end of Season 2. And then Ash Tyler went to take over. So where did Carl send Emperor Giorgio? Yeah. You know, this is the question. Did he send her forward in time or back in time? We don't, we, you know, we don't, we really don't have know. to call back. All right. Catch you later. Um, a little, in a little bit. Okay. All right. Talk to you later, J-Dog. Okay. So where do you think he, where do you think he sent Emperor Giorgio? You think he went I wonder because, if it's going to be. I wonder if it might end up being sometime after Ash Tyler was in control. Yeah, that could and be. And maybe we'll get some. We'll get to see what he did, and she gets to take over from what he did. And maybe that might be how they kind of work him into the script. That could be. Like, like uh, they they mention him, but he's not actually 
appearing. Right. Well, you got to figure, I mean, he's, I, I don't know my Klingon lifespans very well, um, but I assume they're kind of similar to human lifespans. Uh, uh, I don't know, Jim, if you could correct me on that, but let's assume for a moment that Ash Tyler is going to live to be, you know, 80 to 100, maybe 120 years old at, at the outset. Um, and he's what, in his 30s or 40s now, so, and we're in 2256, so you add 100 years uh, to 20, so, you know, can we go, we can't go all the way to TNG era with Ash Tyler, but we can certainly go into the TOS era, and we can go into that little 80-year gap between TOS and TNG, and sort of play around in that time zone, too, so my guess would be that they would pave a little bit of new territory and probably go, um, you know, I, I would like to see them go post TOS to kind of dip into the, you know, the ambassador class days when the enterprise C was around, uh, what was going on in Starfleet during that time period. I think that could be pretty interesting since it's something that we haven't really seen much of yet. Uh, and it, what I hope they don't do is focus on maybe like a TOS era thing where they feel forced to do cameos. Like, I don't care if, you know, Paul Wesley's Kirk shows up in this thing or Spock shows up or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, I'd rather not see them. I'd rather this be a separate thing that has a different story. Hmm. Well, all of the actors that they've announced so far, none of them, are, as far as I know, are, are playing any characters that we've ever seen. They're they're all new. Yeah, I know so. that sometimes what they'll do is they'll cameo somebody, right? And then um, and then it's known later that they were part of it. So I'm just hoping that they don't feel like they have to do that. Because they only have they only have what? Let's say two hours. Yeah, uh, maybe two and a half. Whole, yeah, to tell this whole story. So I think it's going to have to move it? pretty quick. It's like a TV movie, right? So. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. it's on streaming service, so. Mm. Well, I I mean, what's your, yeah, I, you what's know, your speculation, Paul, on timing of this thing? I would think hours. that probably less than two hours. Would oh, be sorry. I mean, I mean, when it is set, like when when is, oh, when did like George get transported to? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, let, like, what refresh my memory from the whole Carl Guardian of Forever thing, right? What what timeline are we in? I mean, the regular timeline of uh, not the seven hundred years in the future timeline, are we, or where are we at? Yeah, when she we gets were. sent. We were. She, in the she was. Yes, we were in the future. Okay, that's what I could not remember. So you got to figure, just because they're using the Guardian as a device to send her someplace, right? It's not going to be in that same timeline that Discovery's in currently. It's going to be someplace deep in the past, right? And I'm kind of with Eric. I really would like to see us go someplace that we haven't been before. And I think that if I'm... My just guess is, I mean, it's tough because a lot of the people that are involved in this uh, show, right, this this movie, are are vets of Discovery, right, and they're they're folks who've done a lot of stuff on there, right, um, executive producers, writers, directors. Uh, the the director is Olatunde uh, Osinsanmi, right, who's done a ton of uh, discovery. So I'm hoping though that they give it its own feel so it doesn't necessarily feel like it's beholden to discovery, right? And I think the best way to do that 
is to not tell the same kind of story and to go into a different era. Like, you know, like for what uh, Eric said, right? Like the Rachel Garrett era, right? With like the ambassador class stuff. Uh, that would be fantastic to me, uh, to see something like that. So it's not really feeling like it's, you know, next to uh, a show that we already know really, really well. It's like if we get something fresh, I I'm hoping that the mindset here, I mean, it's tough because Michelle Yeoh is super popular, right? To land her for a series is not easy. But I'm kind of hoping that what they're doing is treating this whole thing as like the idea of a experimental pilot. They're calling it a movie, right? But if it gets a great reaction and does well, you know, movies can very suddenly turn into a series, right? So I'm hoping that that's kind of where they're going is that they, they have a plan and maybe they even have like kind of a back pocket outline of what a series could look like, but they can't really say that yet and they kind of have to wait and see what the reaction is. But uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of with Eric. I would like something fresh and different, right? And, uh, and, and not a lot of existing cameos from Strange New Worlds and stuff. Though so I know they're going to be tempted, right? How they're not going to. But I would love to see something new. Um, I would love to see something that makes it feel like a spy movie where there's a lot of jeopardy going on and uh, and I don't know who to trust. That, to me, would be great. So I read a fan theory. These are all fan theories, by the way, because nobody knows anything for real. Uh, but the, the, where they were going to go is they were going to go to the USS Kelvin, which is in the Prime Universe, and... Section 31 was going to try to stop Nero from that whole thing from happening. Basically keeping... Thus yeah, erasing Vulcan, the entire Kelvin timeline. Keeping, <laughs> keeping Vulcan from being destroyed. Wow. You know. All I can say is that definitely sounds like a quote-unquote fan theory. I don't think they'd do that. Yeah, that to me yeah. sounds like somebody who's wishing... Somebody who doesn't like the J.J. movies a lot. And is doing a lot of like you know, uh, let's just call it adolescent wish fulfillments. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I don't think I don't think we're going there, friends. It's like you know, I don't think you're going to undo. Uh, no one's going to do over just for you, fans. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to do that. I don't think all of Paramount's you know many millions of dollars are going to say, "Oops, we screwed up," <laughs> and suddenly do a mea culpa on like three movies worth of stuff. I don't think so. Um, you know, what would be cool, though, is supposedly we've just heard recently that there's, you know, finally a green light going for a new, you know, theatrical feature. We don't really know much about it yet, but it sounds like, you know, ideally, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it, but it sounds like they've got something going on. And wouldn't it be cool if, you know, hand in glove, this was pointing towards something down that road rather than, you know, erasing and obviating all the J.J. movies. But this was like kind of a sneak preview of where we're going with this, you know, new as yet, you know, undescribed feature. So I would love that if it kind of, you know, they've got a really neat idea and they bait the hook and give us a little taste of what that next movie could be like. To me, that's, but I don't necessarily think the folks at Paramount are smart enough to pull that off because they've been shooting themselves in the foot time after time after time over the last few years with things, you know, canceling their best properties, you know, doing all kinds of weird stuff. So I, I really hope this is a step in the right direction. I want this to succeed badly. 
Well, Michelle Yeoh is awesome. So she's great. You know, she has good taste. She is you know, great. I, I'm, I'm getting. I'm guessing and, that, that she probably had script approval, right? And probably saw insisted on seeing the script before she signed on. And I don't think she would have signed on if she didn't like the story. Because she, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to do some of my 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 own fantasy fan stuff, and I think I think that Eric and Charles would would. I would absolutely just. You would hear me. Screaming all the way in Portland. <laughs> where to God? If if if, 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 if you if, went, I know where we're going with this. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And if Lorca makes a reappearance, you'll hear me screaming all the way in Portland. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have haven't seen Prime Lorca, so. And clamoring for Prime Lorca ever since Discovery season one. They just love. Jason Isaacs, and he's been very cryptic and whatnot, but, you know, with Carl, as soon as you involve the Guardian of Forever, all bets are off, and I would absolutely, that's the one cameo that I would absolutely love to see, and if it's only a two-hour movie and he shows up for two minutes, I'd go crazy. I mean, I just... I think that's a really... I, would, uh, I think that's a smart call, man. I really do. I mean, because he's, you know, if you're talking about, you know, uh, an organization full of weaselly cats who are up to no good, who are spies and stuff, I mean, Jason Isaacs is like your guy, right? He's just terrific. <laughs> he's I mean, great. He's, you know, get, get Lucius Malfoy, right? <laughs> I mean, it would be great. I mean, it, and to, to have that energy there, have him back in whatever version of uh, Lorca we could get. I mean that's that's good stuff. I, I'm I'm gonna now hope that you're right, and, and that it's not just a cameo that he's got a decent role. Cause and by right. this by the switcheroo theorem of the mirror universe, he should be in the mirror universe, right? So does that mean that they're using Emperor Giorgio's like mirror universe knowledge and connections to Carl is sending her not only across time but perhaps across space um, to a to a place where, um, you know, where she interacts with Prime Lorca? I don't know. Well, maybe you're you're she, not going to start asking us to do math, are you? Wait, <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just saying, when one goes one way, usually one goes the other wow. way, too. Sounds oh, like mental like abuse to human to me. I think <laughs> we should be hiring us to write this. Let's go back to the end of, of a David Mack's book, if you guys recall, when we yeah. had him on the podcast, yeah. and he said that they made him write that last, those three pages at the, the end. Do you remember? Yeah. And at the end, Prime Lorca is being held in some type of, of, of jail Isn't cell yep. in the alternate universe, in the, in the Empire. How do we, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if Section 31 sends her back to rescue him and that That's sets not, up yeah. the new series that Paul was talking about? Cool idea. I mean, you know, Paramount, are you listening? Or the I opening know. scene. The opening scene is like some kind of prison escape, and it's him escaping. There you go. And yeah. he, has to be hunted down, he has to be hunted down because of all of the nefarious things he's capable of doing. I mean, that oh, could be a yeah. great setup, too. That's but, the uh, all, I don't know. I, I really I, – I, I'm totally with you because I just love that dude. I think Isaacs is just he, great. He is awesome. So that that's – that's what I would like to see. That's the cameo I want, Jason Isaacs. And I think, I mean, what do you think, Charles? Would you like to see Jason Isaacs uh, make a, an appearance? Well, as I just drew in my chat in the chat, yes, Star Trek Section Thirty One, 
<clears throat> the search for Lorca. There you go. <laughs> uh, there you I don't it. know if I need this. I don't know if we need one dedicated to just Lorca. Uh, I'd like to get a better idea of this organization. We don't. We know a little bit of detail about this organization. I think I'd love to get a little more about what this organization's really doing. Besides the sneaker they were doing with the AI control. Yeah, they. So I'm just they curious what they, I don't think they're. Uh, you know, a lot of fans are like, well, they're anti-federation. They're evil. But when we saw Emperor Giorgio in season two of Discovery, she wasn't. Uh, doing anything evil. She was there to save Laurel so that the Klingon Empire wouldn't become destabilized again. I wouldn't call that evil. Well, really. well, let's be cl- let's be clear, Jim. Evil depends on your perspective. So, yes. you know, is Emperor Giorgio evil to the guy who's getting kicked in the face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I guess what yeah, I'm saying is just remember that Section 31 too. is... Well, and section like I, we sort of play around with section thirty-one and this idea of this clandestine organization. But let's not forget that this is the organization that, on at least one occasion, has specifically engineered a virus to commit genocide against an entire species. So not only are they willing to go like the extra mile, but they're willing to go all the way. And so if you're going to make a movie about section thirty-one and make it interesting, I think you best explore the moral ambiguities involved in that sort of a paradigm, right? And there, there better be like justified reasons or um, reasons that things are done and then regret or, um, you know, a, a coming to light moment that uh, where a good decision is made or something like that. Somehow they have to take this concept of this dark clandestine organization that's not a bunch of heroes, and they have to fit it into a Star Trek context that will be appealing to people. And they, you know, they've shown that they can do it on a on a scale here and there with uh, the occasional episode. Certainly, an entire arc involving Section Thirty One to some degree uh, in in Discovery. But this has got to be. It's only two hours. It's got to be a movie. So it's got to be. I don't know that we're going to. Ex- I would love to explore the organization. I feel like that takes a show. You know, we're going to get a heist or we're going to get a jailbreak or we're going to get like a one thing that has to happen. Um, and that's what we're going to get because it's a move. Now, wait a second. Uh, well, uh, is, did Section 31, were they responsible for the the um, uh, changeling virus that created uh, the warping, floating head changelings in Star Trek Picard Season 3? that tortured the changelings was that section 31 i don't remember not that one but they were the ones who created the original virus in deep the deep space nine days yeah i I think that that floating head was uh i think that was the borg because the the six changelings that were captured and tortured on the station there were um in Uh. picard season three was that section 31 that was doing those yeah, that was. Well, uh, yeah, or, Section 31 had previously done experiments. These might have been ones that escaped right. their captivity. Okay, okay. So, 
my my question would be but okay. we have seen uh the most excellent and I do mean excellent redemption arc of Emperor Giorgio that I mean you can't say that her redemption arc on Discovery wasn't top notch. I mean, really. Where Michelle, yo, where her character ends up at the end of Discovery versus where she started in the beginning is a complete 180. I mean, it's she just, you know, she changed completely. So how do we know? I'm just throwing this out there to see if it sticks. How do we know that she's not going to dismantle Section 31 because she doesn't like what's going on there? I mean, that could mm. happen too. She could. Right? I mean, well, I well, think she's, if anything, she's more likely to work towards transparency of Section 31 in the way that Ash Tyler already was. Because if she dismantles, I mean, I guess it depends on where she goes in time. If she goes forward right. in time, she, she might dismantle it. But if she goes back, at least to periods that we know, you know, we know we've got Section 31 during, uh, during the year, so. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, okay. Here's a question to throw to Eric. Let's start from uh, our ear with Pike up through the Enterprise C. What historical events do we have in that time period? And could they get involved with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd like and to it... see maybe we we know there's some there's some events in there in history. Why not push it towards one of those events that we don't know details, but they know those events are out there. There you go. Fill in the cannon. Yeah. Yeah, the Kittimer massacres. Yeah. There's one of them right there. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I, I'm actually kind of wondering. Uh, yeah, sorry, let's I, put together his. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, David. I was gonna say that. Um, sorry for talking over you, but uh, you you were mentioning the whole idea of um the situation where they could go that direction, but I, I I'm wondering if they are gonna be tying all. I mean, this this movie would be the perfect opportunity to get all the franchises tied together. Time travels involved. They could be using Lorca over and over and over throughout the entire movie, multiple movies, if they can continue. But can you imagine bringing in Enterprise, POS, all the series together and just, like, go all over the place to try and, like, fix different stuff in the timeline? I mean, that would be super cool. I guess you'd have to use probably mostly digital sets because they're not going to be able to build a different, like, timeline-themed ship every other week or every... Oh, that's a movie. Yeah. Yeah, Right. In a movie, I don't Mm. know if you could do a two-hour movie. I mean, I guess you could. You would have to use AI to generate, like, Picard as a young person, I suppose, and maybe Archer, of course, but um, I don't know. Interesting. It it could go that well, but that's, that's my two cents on it, I suppose. I mean, I think only... filling in timeline can. Oh, sorry to jump in, Paul, but uh, uh, you no. know, I was just gonna say uh, the one way I think for a star, the Star Trek universe, let's say, let's call it the Star Trek universe, to combat or compete with maybe like the Marvel universe. You know how Marvel's got their whole multiverse thing going on right now. Well, yeah. <laughs> we may not do a multiverse in more than an episode here or there in Star Trek. But man, what if they had multiple shows that 
were in different time periods that just started to fill in those time period canons. One that's during that, you know, Rachel Garrett era and one that does fill in what happened with Ash Tyler and one that does fill in what happens between Picard and the 32nd century. <laughs> be, hmm. That'd be cool. Man. What were you going to say, Paul? Oh, the only thing I was going to say is like the one, you know, hint that's out there is basically during like the, the press announcement that they did for, for the for the movie, right? You know, it's just talking about Georgia, right? And how do they describe the plot? The only thing they say is tasked with protecting the United Federation of Planets, she must also face the sins of her past. So that's the one kind of hint about maybe something that is past related for her, like where some things that she did that she's got to maybe further redeem herself or something that she left undone, like a loose end in her past, something like that. So it, it makes you wonder a little bit, right? So, I mean, it, it's, I, I kind of want to go back and watch season two of Discovery. Well, again, because it's, it's a good season. But now, just sort of to pay attention to everything she says, right? And what, does she say, what, what, is, what are things that she mentions that occurred in her right. backstory? Yeah, yeah. That's something I think it would, be, would behoove me to check it out. In there. Yeah. Giorgio <laughs> did have the USS Defiant from the Tholian web. Uh, she did, yes. She had that because she, she knew all about the Federation, and she knew everything about it. So she had she had that ship and access to the, the data banks and everything in the episode. So she, she was well aware of the Federation's existence. Because she tells Michael Burnham about it. Well, sins of the past sounds an awful lot like that Lorca subplot we were just talking about. I, I could, I'm kind of like, well, I can't stop oh, thinking about that. Lorca would be awesome. Okay, <laughs> I was, I was just looking at some of our history. David says we'll integrate some of the theories a little bit together. I got a way we can integrate theories. We got another incident that came up that we haven't really gotten into. The Cardassian takeover of Bajor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. There's That's another right. big incident right there. Which has to occur for Deep Space talk- Nine to make any sense. So she can't undo that. But she could go right. back to that time but period she- and deal with some, some story in there. Exactly, because right. you the one the only story we ever get from that incident was Kira and O'Brien's time there, but that's all we know. Hmm. Oh, you, you mean kind of... you mean the mirror universe from that time period? Is that what you mean? No, no. Oh. O'Brien's known for his battle during the Cardassian War, or yeah, during yeah, the yeah. Cardassian. Right. During take the war. Of, or conquer of, of the war with the Bajor. Pre-Deep Space Nine, yeah. Yeah. Right. Pre-Deep Space Nine. Hmm. Yeah, then we also, if we're talking about things that we don't know about, it's the Romulan Wars. We know nothing except Stiles' father was in it. You know, we know that. But um, hmm. what what do we know about the Romulan Wars? Nothing. That was supposed to be Nothing. season five of the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, and it never got that far. Yeah. Maybe they would just redo a season that? five Enterprise. <laughs> I'd kill for an NXO one long, reset. <laughs> it's been a long road getting from there to here. I'll say that. 
If they start with that theme music, then we know. (laughs) We know. (laughs) I do think Enterprise is deserving of some love. So that would, yeah, yeah, wouldn't kill me if they if they somehow worked in some Enterprise there. You know, that would be nice. I I I agree with Eric. I would love to see the refit of the Nexo One. No, David, you want to see Tribble. That's what you oh, want to Oh, come see on. What's tribble. the difference? Okay, fine. The Death Star comes. It's a Star Wars crossover. <laughs> the Death Star Tribble. Dun, 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 dun. Oh. Uh, let's see, guys. We have, uh, we have a caller here. Oh. Let's see. If I can get this thing doesn't want to answer there. Come on. There we go. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Kablam, my brother. It's Ray. Hey, Ray, what's happening, Ray? Hey, how you guys doing, man? Hey, what's happening, Ray? Yeah, listen, um, can, I you, um, can I just say something quick, please? Sure. Now, you heard about the incident, right? I hate to change the subject, but this one really tops this. Now, you heard about what happened in Missouri, right? Yeah. You can't see that, huh? Yes. Yo, that was... Yo, man, that joke got me crying, yo, um, y'all last yesterday. It was tragic for sure. For sure, man. I mean, listen, I mean, listen, I look out, listen, I was going for the San Francisco for the Super Bowl, right? So the Kansas City won, right? I mean, and then they have no celebration. They said there was a freaking shootout. I mean, for no apparent reason. Yep, I, I hear you, right? Definitely tragic. Should never have happened. Well, like I said, I was super for 35 years, right? And every day I have a homecoming thing. I'm not going to say that it's not that long. But you know what I'm saying? And you're going like, you know, like nine kids got shot and one DJ who works for Missouri got killed? I mean, you got to be, you know, that, yo, man, yo, yo, that, yo, that to me, that is really tragic, tragic, man. That, yo, man, that's what we're going to call for. Absolutely. I agree. Um, you know, say don't they, so, so I also say shout for the, you know, say for the family members who lived in Missouri. I, you know, say I'm sorry for your, I mean, sorry for the condolences and, and you know, what I'm saying and pray, man. Cause you know, as I say, man, this whole year is going, uh, this whole year just started, is going crazy. Yep, I agree, Ray, and I think you're absolutely right. Right. So anyway, 100%. back to the do ranch. Yeah, I had to represent the yoga. I had to represent. But anyway, back to the do ranch. You talking about alternate universe series and stuff? I yep. think they could pull. I think I think I think they could pull it off. I think so. I think they pull it off, but you know what? It's, it's gonna be. It's gonna take some work to do that. Absolutely. And then, and then you talking about when uh, discover discover uh, the Catholic Catholic discover um the um the the five from the on um, the the the, the, the Dorian War episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, Emperor Giorgio has the Defiant from the Tholian Web episode in the Mirror Universe. But, are, but I mean, it, 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 it kind of seems to the same episode with um, Enterprise when Captain Archer caught that ship, too. Yes, that's right. Captain Archer uh, right. Uh, in the Mirror Universe went after that ship, yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing you. I think it's not, it's not the same thing like Captain Archie did when he took all, like you know, from you know, you know, you know, you know, uh, NX One Enterprise. 
well, um, have war speed, uh, have war speed up to like five, 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 five war speed. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the Kazuka Enterprise only has about it's up to ten. So you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of like me driving a uh, A2 Civic, and I, I went, I went forward in time and drive me a 2024 Honda Civic with much more power. Right. Right. So yep. anyway, um, anyway, uh, anyway, I'm um, glad the ETC this year. I mean, I'm bugging out one thing. I'm not planning the ACO. Yo, I thought they finished with that. Right. Called Kingdom Planet. Yo, yo, I thought they finished with that. No, they're not. They're they're gonna have a movie coming out about with that. That's what we're and talking then, about. And, and then and and then then you got Deadpool three. I gotta see that joint. Yeah. For sure. Well, uh, but anyway, I mean, I mean, but, I mean, but anyway, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, I want to say hi, and like you know, I want to see, you know respond to everything else. I'm, you know, I'm doing fine except this the snow thing. But thank God, but thank God, next week I'm off next week. Thank God, they because because with the reset next week. Thank God. Yeah, you got hammered down there with snow. What? For sure. That? Oh, yeah, you got. That- well, we got Uncle Jim. We got hammered so much. Like, was it wasn't that Monday? They, I mean, the, the Monday when they closed all the schools down. Thank God for that. Like I said, like I said, like I said, I, I, you, you know, the public schools, right? I mean, Uncle Jim, if the school was open, I was still not going to work. Complete that. <laughs> well, that's good, uh-huh. right? You got to stay safe. You got to keep yourself safe. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, guys, I just want to say hi. Enjoy you guys' night. I'll, say, right. I'll be, I'll be, I'll see, I'll call you guys, I'll call you guys next Thursday. Enjoy you guys' night. You know what I'm saying? God bless and everything else. And thank you for having me on the show. And I'll tell Eva, I'll tell Eva you say hi to her. All right. Thanks a lot, Ray. You have a good night, brother. Bye-bye. You too, man. Thanks they, they every day. Thank you. All right. God bless. God. Okay, guys. That that was Ray. He's down in the Bronx. And I think, I think J-Dog is back with us here. I think that that's J-Dog's number. J-Dog, yep. can you hear us? Of course. Yep. Hi. All right. Hi. We got J-Dog. So that was Ray down in the Bronx, and now we got J-Dog in Albany, and uh, we're talking about Section 31 and the possibility of Lorca maybe making a cameo appearance, which I think would be excellent myself. Didn't know um, the that they didn't could have. Didn't say that. I forget the name of the actor. Um, Jason Isaac. Yeah, Jason, thank you. That He said only if there was a very good story or that it would really be um, something that would attract his attention, that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, I, I think that a movie, I think getting uh, getting him like Giorgio for an extended series might be difficult, but for for a movie, I think it's a different situation, you know. Yeah, that's um, so. I'm, you know, I'm glad that you know that you're doing on the topic of Section Thirty One, um, because it makes you wonder, makes me wonder. For example, that uh, okay, so here we are, that uh, an hour time that we have all the intelligence agencies and all of, um so okay fine you know and all the crap that today of how the world is 
and things are supposed to be better, right, over the next hundred years through first contact, you know, the different, the World War Three, et cetera, et cetera, all this stuff. Uh, and it's supposed to, if you want to look at it, like level the playing field for the for Earth, right, until first contact. And supposedly uh, we're supposed to be better people. So I think that one of the things, in my opinion, that was a mistake was that Roddenberry made it so that we're perfect, which I think is totally ridiculous. I mean, why couldn't it be just like we're a work in progress thing, you know? And, I mean, especially that with Archer and the time, you know, in that um, 22nd century, they were more like us. Okay. But the thing of it is that so they got rid of war, famine, et cetera, et cetera. And even though they didn't have replicators, but they were able still to make progress to satisfy people's wants and needs. But still, Earth, even though it was getting united and they thought that they would get over all the bullshit and all the nastiness, but why is Section 31 there? Why is it – how did it – I mean, I'm sure that it was around even before, um, you know, with Starfleet that we see in Enterprise, right? I mean, was – were people so, like, I can't, you know, do this? You saw, like, with um, uh, that with Cisco, um, that, ooh, we can't touch our, um, get our hands involved in uh, doing certain things because we're too high and mighty and, you know, so we've got to have somebody to do it for us. But, I mean, did they set up this organization? I mean, um, you, it's not a perfect universe. I mean, shit's going to happen, right? I mean, is is this what Section 31 is about? Is it the shit's going to happen, we have to handle it, agency? Um, so they need to have them. Is is that what it's about? We need to have Section 31. They're kind of like the Star Trek. They're the, you you do the shit work um, because we can't afford to soil ourselves with, you know, the, this we're too high and mighty um, as compared to like let's say I don't know Babylon 5 that uh, they didn't set them up to be people who were perfect right um, and they, they had the Psycorps with uh, Bester as well they were nasty I mean they were nasty I mean, holy cow, but I mean, in general, though, in the Babylon 5 universe, they're not seen as perfect human beings, right? They still have religion. They still have a lot of the shit that we have today. So, um, you know, I think, I mean, look at how Cisco agonized. You know, it's like, 
Romulus had to come in. He, I mean, yeah, they were in, they were just going to sit on the side because they knew that Starfleet was not going to, you know, uh, tell them, you know, you gotta be, you know, it. it they needed Section Thirty One, and they needed people to do the dirty work that even Starfleet intelligence wouldn't do, right? I think what Absolutely. I'm hearing you say is that Section 31 at its core is an end justifies the means type of organization. So they set out for a goal and they're going to do whatever it takes to get there. Now, I think one thing yeah. that you mentioned is, you know, Starfleet sends Section 31 to do this and that. That's not at all true. Section 31 is an autonomous organization making their own decisions. And if they liaise with Starfleet at all, it's, I bet, at Section 31's purview and not Starfleet's. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think they, they pretty much do what, what they want to do. I think so. So I don't so – section so Starfleet knows that they exist, and they allow right. them to exist. <laughs> Right <laughs> yeah. to do that dirty work, but they don't control the dirty work that they do. They're a they're a they're a loose gun. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's well, what they want us to believe. I mean, they could be controlled by another secret organization that Starfleet may have had that we never heard about. That could well, mentioned in Section Thirty One. I mean, the, the thing is that, yeah. no, you're it's totally right. Thirty One and a half. <laughs> yeah, and these yeah. are all mere real life things, right? There's yeah. always intelligence and counterintelligence in these sorts of things. And as for the origins of Section Thirty One, like we don't really know. We know from Enterprise that Malcolm Reed worked for Section 31 before the series started. So we know that it goes back at least before the Enterprise series. Right. You know, I would say that, I don't know if you've watched, uh, I'm going to minor spoiler alert here, Charles, and I'm sorry, but it's not, it's not that big of a thing. But like, you know, anytime you go out into space, for example, in that show For All Mankind these days, anytime you go out into space, you're always going to take either a part of your military or a part of your secret organization or, you know, somebody who's going to operate uh, quasi-militarily along the way. And that's just, uh, to me, that's sort of like a human nature thing. It's like we take our scientists and we take our families and stuff, but man, we take the guns too. So um, Jim and I have been watching for all mankind. I love that series. Yeah. And yeah. I would bet you that, you know, there was military in Section 31 and all that kind of stuff on every single ship that we sent out into the cosmos, I would bet you, in the Star Trek hmm. universe. Yeah, I bet you're right. I bet you're right. I bet, I bet they could even retcon it that, like, there was a Section 31 member on the Enterprise D or something, right? <laughs> Toss your well, 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 It would I mean, be interesting. Have... Oh, yeah. sorry. No, go ahead, yeah, Jerry. I, I was just it would be interesting to actually get to the origins of, okay, so like let's say after World War III, all the shit we went through, right? Uh, you know, it's like, okay, we've gotten rid of, they say we've gotten rid of hunger, disease, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jealousy, all this shit. I mean, not that we're perfect. 
I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, Roddenberry in this perfect universe, no, sorry, bullshit. Even in the original series, people were not perfect. Okay, fine. But still, um, was it felt that they did need to have a Section 31? Like, I don't know. Like, at the um, at, after warp drive or whatever? I don't know. Was it as far back as then? You know, when all the ashes, you know, you know, the picking up the pieces of civilization, whatever. So did they feel uh, we're going to need this type of a organization? You know, it sucks, but we got to have something to do the shit that um, we normally would not do because... We don't want to do the terrible things that we did in the past, but somebody's got to do it. I mean, is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know how much they're going to be able to explore in a in a short two hour movie. I think. Do we know it's to, exactly uh, two hours, or if it's like? What's all I, no, I'm just making that up. I I have no okay. idea. <laughs> Like Eric said, it is a streaming thing, and like you know, from Game of Thrones and stuff that, or even for all mankind, that when they're streaming it, they they can make it whatever length they want. You know, they don't have to have commercial breaks and all that other garbage. Oh, so, so they, this isn't going to be in the movie theater. No, it's going to be on Paramount Plus. Oh, so is it like a mini TV series? Because I always thought it was going to be in the theaters. No, it's going to be on Paramount Plus. Okay. Yeah. Paramount. Also, so, I, I, you know, um, uh, I don't know if you've been reading the interviews with Ron Moore about For All Mankind, but there have been some. He's been alluding to something about the show, where it will end up. Is it? going to be tying into the Star Trek universe. Well, they did mention the the one astronaut did mention that she wanted her daughter to grow up to be a Trekkie. and They were going (laughs) to watch all three series. She did say that. There was an awful lot of Star Trek mentioned in that show. But listen, guys, before uh, we we don't want to run out of time because we still got some more stuff to talk about. So I wanted Thank to go you. around the room here and get everybody's, uh, you know, we'll start off with Charles. So, Charles, what, what would you like to see, Section 31? Where would you like to see it be, and what would you like to see it do? I'd like to see it do something that's an influence to Star Trek history in some way. I just don't want it going back to Discovery era just because that's where it started. I want them to see do something and maybe explain why Ash Tyler's not there. Yeah. So I think I, I, I could be wrong here because I'm not a temporal mechanics expert by any means, but I would think that she would have to go back beyond discovery because if she doesn't she can run into her herself and that could cause all kinds of problems like doc brown said so i think that she would either have to go you know way beyond discovery um or 
after it because she can't run into her herself, right? I, I you know, although we've seen people from the mirror universe interact with them with their normal selves, but I just think that would be too confusing. I think she has to go before Discovery season one or after, you know, the TNG era, I think, but I might be wrong. How about you, David? What would you like to see happen with this movie? Well, for sure, definitely. I mean, we already know that there's going to be calls, the time traveler gate person thingy. So he's, he's definitely going back in time somewhere. We don't know where. However, I think it would be interesting if she got sent back before Starfleet became Starfleet. What if, what if, and I'm not saying this is what I want to see, but what if she was responsible for World War Three? you know, for the instance of just kind of like having the, uh, sorry, excuse me. Oh. But yeah, I mean, to me, it's just an, an interesting thought to think that what if going back in time, maybe it was a mess up and um, she somehow got sent back to before World War Three to try to get back, but, you know, maybe there's going to be, like, an instance of that. Or, to me, be honest, this is what I want to see. I kind of want to see what happened between the hundred years difference between Enterprise and TOS. I kind of want to see something new. I'm with Eric and Paul on this. I do want to see something new with this series. So if they could put in something new into that timeline, that would be interesting to see. And I know that Emperor Giorgio isn't the one that starts Section 31. Maybe like J-Dog was saying, maybe we are going to see the origin. Maybe he sends her back and she's the one that sets it up. I mean, we, we, we don't know, right? Yeah. Could be. How about you, Eric? Uh, well, I sort of said my piece. I mean, I kind of like the idea going into that 80-year gap between TOS and TNG. I'd like to see it in that zone. Yeah, that's a good place. And Lorca. I'd love to see Lorca. If they, if yeah, they that's, not a, that's a great idea. I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Lorca and his diaper. I'm game for that. How about you, Paul? Well, man, I just I want it to be a legit spy show, right? I want it to really feel like a spy genre movie, right? Like Three Days of the Condor type situation, right? Where it's suspenseful and there is duplicity and I don't know who to trust. And who I'm rooting for changes midway through, right? I want to see a lot of Michelle Yeoh. Um, I would love to see uh, some Marka, like he talked about, Um you know, it, it's an interesting idea to think that, you know, they could be sending her back and she's like somehow the genesis of starting this whole thing, you know, the foundational, you know, era of of Section 31. But that's a lot of story to unpack, man. So I don't know if we're getting that. Um, I just hope they continue to do what Star Trek does when it's Star Trek at its best, is hold a mirror up to our world we live in now and that they use the story to make, you know, good commentary about what we do with our spy craft and intelligence in the world that we live in now and hold it up as a warning to where we kind of maybe shouldn't be going in terms of some of the stuff that we do, right? We want to make sure that we continue to, you know, lean towards freedom and not autocracy and becoming the next 
KGB. So I think it uh, has the potential to really speak to us where we're at and where we might be cautious that we go in the future. But just I want a good spy story, man. I want it to feel a little bit different and not just feel like a, you know, season two episode of Discovery. That's my hope. Yeah. Well, I think, like you alluded to earlier, I think Michelle Yeoh, the Oscar-winning Michelle Yeoh, has the opportunity to look at the scripts and, and give approval. And I don't think that, you know, she would approve something and work on something if it wasn't legitimately good. You know, I think that that's what she's after. So I, Especially I think coming right off that Oscar win, man. I mean, they she signed up for this show after, I mean, within, a, you know, what, a few days after winning the Oscar. So her coinage has never been higher. So I'm, right. I'm thinking that they must have really, you know, she must have been pleased because it's like you don't announce your next project after just walking away with the Oscar unless you feel really good about that project, right? So, um, uh, and, and she was very prominently part of the advertising and announcement that it was going to be a, a you know yeah. a, a, go, a go production. So I think that her, you know she seems like she's really standing behind it, which is a great sign. So super well, hopeful. Wasn't it also Absolutely. her idea to do a show like this? I kept thinking I heard something like that. Well, I she think was, she did was that a, character, man. She loves that character. I think she would, you know, yeah. she said she'd happily would embody it again. And uh, I think she likes the fact that it's not like a stock character, right? That it's a, that, you know, it's a complicated character with a lot of shades of gray, and she likes getting a chance to be evil every now and then, right? <laughs> so I think that that's an actor's dream. So I think she's very happy with it, and I love it when an actor guides, you know, kind of takes ownership of their character and kind of guide its development through, you know, subsequent shows. And, you know, you might look at what Patrick's doing with it, right? And it kind of said, you know, helps you know, direct it a little bit in terms of what they do with the uh, with the character because it shows that they really care and that always translates in the performance. I think so. I'm I'm excited to see where she takes this. You know, I'm yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely uh, hopeful. Super hopeful. Yeah, I agree. And how about you, J Dog? What would you like to see them do with uh, Section Thirty One? I am on board with all of you with um, what you're wanting to see because, um, as was pointed out, that yes, Star Trek at its best, the mirror holding up to a you know. So, yeah. So, guys, excellent. Well, that wraps up our Section 31 discussion for for this episode, guys. I hope you had a good time, and I hope you learned something, and I hope that we we opened up your mind to uh, possibilities that maybe you didn't think about with Section 31. And uh, now it's time for our... Star Trek That was not a Klingon song. All right, guys, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by sadly enough remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Take it away, Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we have a lot of remembrances. We're going to cruise through them a little bit, but these are all extremely uh, important actors who have made great contributions to Star Trek through the years, and we like to honor them uh, every single week. So the first this week is actor Gene Lyons. 
Uh, Gene Lyons, of course, played Ambassador Robert Fox in the TOS uh, episode, A Taste of Armageddon. Gene Lyons basically made a career out of being a professional guest star, um, was in all sorts of stuff from the 50s through the 70s. So happy birthday and lots of love going out to Gene Lyons. Happy birthday as well to Dame Judith Anderson, uh, lived to be the ripe old age of 94 years old. She's the Australian actress who played Talar in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, our uh, Vulcan priestess, uh, one of only 14 Star Trek guest stars born in the 19th century, of course, but she's known for so many things, has won Emmy Awards, Tony Awards, uh, was nominated for Grammy Awards, Academy Awards, um, an extremely important character in all of British theater and television. In 1960, she was appointed as a Dame of the British Empire after her service as an actor of stage and screen. So I uh, cannot overstate the importance of this woman and her career. Happy birthday to Dame Judith Anderson. Happy birthday as well to Barry Ingham. Barry Ingham was the actor who played Danilo O'Dell in the Next Generation second season episode, Up the Long Ladder. Uh, Ingham was one of those who was originally considered for the role of Jean-Luc Picard, which is pretty interesting. And if you'll beg my indulgence, uh, he was also one of the very few actors who also appeared in Doctor Who. He was in an episode, and he was also in the uh, movie Doctor Who and the Daleks. So Barry Ingham, veteran of both Star Trek and Doctor Who, happy birthday and lots of remembrances going out to him. Happy birthday as well to Paul Comey, the actor who played Lieutenant Stiles, Speak of the Devil, in the TOS first season episode, Balance of Terror, one of the best. Comey started acting in 1957 and continued all the way to 1995, making 100 television guest appearances, 20 movies, and a number of reoccurring roles. So happy birthday to Paul Comey. Happy birthday to Brioni Farrell, uh, a Greek actress born Xenia Grestos, uh, she played Tula in the TOS first season episode, The Return of the Archons. Uh, once again, television career in the 60s and 70s, lots and lots of guest appearances. So happy birthday, Brioni. Happy birthday to Richard Lynch. He's the actor from Brooklyn, New York, who portrayed Arctis Baran in the Next Generation seventh season episodes, Gambits, part one and two. He's also the older brother of Star Trek Next Generation guest star Barry Lynch, who uh, played the Romulan uh, Empire member Deceive in the episode six season, uh, or excuse me, season six episode, Face of the Enemy. Uh, so happy birthday to Richard Lynch, who has many connections to Starfleet, uh, Star Trek, uh, through himself and his family. Happy birthday as well to the wonderful Susan Oliver. Uh, that was the stage name of Charlotte Girk, a New York native who played Vina, the original Vina, in the TOS first season pilot, The Cage, the one that we didn't get to see till later. She was also one of the test actresses for that Orion makeup. They slathered her up good. Uh, they tried many, many things on me, she said, until they finally found what they wanted. Years later, she also wanted to direct an episode of Next Generation, but never got the chance. And I always like to mention this on her birthday the response was that she didn't know enough about visual effects. This despite the fact that a knowledge of visual effects was not a director's requirement for the series. Um, kind of some funny stuff going on in there. You should go read about it if you want to learn more. But Oliver did receive an Emmy Award nomination for her performance in NBC's 1976 television movie, Amelia Earhart. So happy birthday to Susan Oliver, our original Vina. 
Happy birthday as well to Margaret Gillespie Wiley, Meg, also known as. Uh, she's the actress who played our uh, original Telosian, the Keeper, uh, from the first pilot of TOS. She had the honor of portraying our first villain, I guess you'd say, and over five decades would make around 100 television guest appearances in all sorts of things, uh, you know, The Twilight Zone, Fugitive, all that stuff from there. So Meg Wiley, a uh, really important part of Star Trek there, and a cool throbbing head that you can watch when you watch the cage. So happy birthday to her. And last but certainly not least, we're saying happy birthday this week to Jerry Goldsmith. Gerald King Goldsmith was the film and television composer and conductor who wrote the musical scores for five Star Trek movies and the main title themes for two Star Trek spinoff series. And you want to talk about accolades? He was nominated for 18 Academy Awards. He won one. Also won five Emmy Awards, was nominated for the 1980 Saturn Award for Best Music uh, for the TMP soundtrack. And he was actually Gene Roddenberry's original choice to compose the music for The Cage, but he had to decline because he was committed to other projects at the time, and that's how Alexander Courage got that, that first shot at that theme. In 1979, Roddenberry again offered a first shot to Goldsmith for TMP. Of course, he took him up on it. And uh, his score for that movie earned him the 11 of his 18 Oscar, Oscar nominations, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, just goes to show how important that was. Also Star Trek V, Jim. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> he was approached uh, by Paramount to do the DS9 theme, but he didn't get it uh, because he had other things going on once again in his schedule. But he did do Star Trek Voyager, and then we, of course, saw him later in uh, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Um, so uh, somebody whose imprint is all over Star Trek, we all, when we think Star Trek, we literally think about these themes. We're literally thinking about things that came from Jerry Goldsmith's head. And I just think that is really super cool and I miss him, and, you know, his, uh, of course, never got to meet him or anything, but, man, what a talent. What a real, real talent. Gone 20 years now. Uh, lost him back in 2004. So that does it for our remembrances, guys. Uh, so, Charles, I'm going to pass this birthday candle to you. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Let's start off with a happy birthday to Jimmy Bennett, actor who played the adolescent James T. Kirk in Star Trek, the Kelvin series. He was born in a in Seal Beach, California. <clears throat> Happy birthday to Philip Anglim, who betrayed Burrell, Antos in Star Trek Deep Space Nine and the Mirror Universe, Burrell Antos in the sixth season Resurrection. Happy birthday to Stephen Gregory, actor who played Jake Kirkland in Star Trek's Next Generation episode, Coming of Age. Happy birthday to Ellen Bray, actress from New York, New York City, New York, who played Farallon in Star Trek's 60s and episodes, Quality of Life. Happy birthday to Carl Collinson, Frank Collinson, actor who played Delac in Star Trek's Next Generation 50s and episode Ensign Row. Happy birthday, Nicole Fellows, 
actress who played Elizabeth Torres in Star Trek Voyager's seventh season episode Lineage. And a couple of special birthdays in there. A very happy birthday to Annual J- Andrew J. Robinson, actor who is best known Star Trek fans for betraying Elan, Elan Garrick in Star Trek D Space Nine. Definitely a character, fascinating character who didn't get as much uh, screen time and enough background, I think, that he deserved. And Charles, you and I both know another excellent example of an author reading his own book with a stitch in time and just doing a fantastic performance. Exactly. That really gave us a good backstory for him. And Jim knows this one's a special one for me. A very happy birthday to Kirk Thatcher, who was an associate producer in Star Trek IV, Voyage Home. But we know him much more as playing the part of the punk on the bus in that movie, who actually sang an original song he wrote himself for that movie. And also, I believe he voiced another character, and I can't remember which one it was. He voiced another character in that movie, too. In 2022, he returned as a character in Star Trek Picard series episode, The Watcher. But Kirk is a very interesting, interesting person with stuff he's done. I believe he's Spend some time to do some work with the Muppets. So I'd love to get a little more in his his uh, history in in Hollywood. Paul, who's on your list? Paul is muted. Sorry for the delay, there, gentlemen. There we go. Appreciate no problem. That patience. Thank you so much. First of all, we've got a happy birthday greetings from Mariana Hill. She's the actress from the original series episode Dagger of the Mind, who played Helen Noel, a famous uh, companion of uh, the captain from an infamous Christmas party, as I recall. So uh, terrific uh, role, uh, would have made a great regular character as far as I'm concerned. But uh, Mariana Hill, happy birthday and uh, a great performance, really charming. Also, uh, we're saying happy birthday to Julie Warner who played Christy Henshaw in the Next Generation third season episodes Booby Trap and Transfigurations, a double hitter there for Julie Warner, getting to be in two different episodes. Happy birthday to Marcello Tuber, who portrayed Acosta Jared in Next Generation's fourth season episode Devil's Do, as well as playing Mr. Alvarez in the Picard second season episode Assimilation. So a couple of different aspects of the Trek universe there. Happy birthday to Catherine Burrell, actress who played Harcourt Fenton Mudd's fiance Stella Grimes in the Trek Discovery first season episode, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Fun stuff from uh, season one of Discovery. Always fun to revisit. Happy birthday to Leslie Beavis. Uh, she played Rianoge in the uh, Deep Space Nine second and third and fourth season episodes, Homecoming, The Abandoned, and Broken Link. Uh, this actor is somebody you've seen on a ton of TV, actor Neil McDonough, who played Lieutenant wait, wait, Hawk wait, in First wait, Contact. Wait, 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 wait. Leslie Beavis. The most important thing about her is that Snotty beamed her twice last night, and it was marvelous. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was in Spaceballs. Oh, All yeah. right, man. Glad, glad we got that out. That's good. I forgot about that. And she was, yeah, yeah she was in Spaceballs. I have to revisit she, that. Yeah, she was in Spaceballs. Okay. Star Trek. Awesome. It's not naming her. <laughs> yeah, Neil McDonough was really interesting. He played Lieutenant Hawk in First Contact. He's a TV vet. You've seen him in tons and tons of different things. Very charismatic with those kind of uh, Siberian husky eyes of his. Uh, really seemed like they were setting him up to be a uh, recurring character. And then surprisingly, uh, he bought the farm. <laughs> not so much. Uh, but uh, interesting bit of casting in uh, one of the best Trek movies, certainly there. Happy birthday to, to Harish Vajdani, a Persian-Canadian actress uh, who played uh, Katil in Stranger World's first season episode, Spock Amok. Absolutely great episode. Happy birthday to Sherry Jackson, who played Andrea in the original series first season episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Outstanding episode. Indelible performance. Sherry Jackson, amazing. And uh, speaking of beaming, we have Simon Pegg, the great English actor, writer, and comedian who's also enjoying a birthday, who uh, we acknowledge for playing Montgomery Scott in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, Star Trek, and Star Trek Beyond, and is a big, staunch science fiction enthusiast and done some writing uh, for the franchise as well. So pretty good stuff there amongst all of our uh, Star Trek luminaries. Happy birthday, Simon Pegg. Passing it over to you, Jim. Yeah, I'm going to start off with one of my favorites. We want to say happy birthday to, yes, the Gorn captain himself from the TOS episode Arena. Of course, we're talking about Bobby Clark. Happy birthday, Bobby Clark. We also want to say happy birthday to Jamie Hubbard, the actress who played Salia. And Star Trek The Next Generation second season episode, The Dauphine, that was uh, Wesley's girlfriend, human girlfriend, I should, or, well, human appearing girlfriend. We also want to say happy birthday to Stephen Manley, the actor who played Spock at age of 17 in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. We want to say happy birthday to Alan Miller, the actor from Brooklyn, New York, who played the alien uh, character captain in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. He's the guy that had that spoke Yoda ease to McCoy. <laughs> Yoda ease. <laughs> so well, I, it's, it's, is that what you would call it? Yeah, no, totally. You, I think that's a good description. Yeah. Lucy <laughs> Arno, oh, my name not important. That yeah. Is, he kind of, uh, you know, in the in the world of Star Trek, he would be Yoda. <laughs> mm-hmm. So happy birthday. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Zach Galligan. He's the actor who played David Gentry in Star Trek Voyager's fifth season episode, In the Flesh. But you guys, everybody knows this guy from Gremlins, right? Keep uh-huh. them out of the daylight. Don't get them wet and never feed them after midnight. Uh, Gremlins, I think, is what he's most well-known for. And I always, always, always save the Klingons for last. And tonight is no exception to that rule. We want to say kabla to Nancy Youngblunt, who played Kalana in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, seventh season episode, Once More Unto the Breach. We also want to say kabla to Christopher Darga, actor and sculptor who appeared as Kabok in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, fourth season episode, Way of the Warrior, and Vorak in Star Trek Enterprise, first season episode, The Onyx. You guys remember K-Bach? 
Kabok is the one that that uh, that uh, Galron had killed because he wouldn't mm-hmm. board the eight's ship, and he brings yep. his Zaktan, gives it to uh, Cisco. Yeah, that was Kabok, that captain. And last but definitely not least on my list, we want to say happy birthday and kapla to Matthias Hughes, the actor who played Klingon General Stick in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And that, my friend, wraps up our Star Trek birthday. And now it's time for Star Trek News. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Okay, guys, this is our Star Trek news section, and we have something hot off the presses that just dropped today, and Eric is going to tell you guys all about it. That's right. Looking forward to the future of Star Trek here. Star Trek Discovery Season 5 to debut with two episodes on April 4th. That's right. Paramount Plus announced that Season 5 of Discovery will arrive on Thursday, April 4th, with a two-episode debut. New episodes of the 10-episode season will follow each Thursday on Paramount Plus in the U.S., the U.K., Switzerland, South Korea, Latin America, Germany, France, Italy, Australia, and Austria. Discovery will also premiere on April 4th on Paramount Plus in Canada. Returning for Season 5 are Sinequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman, Wilson Cruz, David Ajala, and Blue Del Barrio. Callum Keith Rennie joins the cast as Captain Rayner. Season 5 also features recurring guest stars Elias Tufexis, who plays Laak, and Eve Harlow, who plays Maul. The fifth and final season will find Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery uncovering a mystery that will send them on an epic adventure across the galaxy to find an ancient power whose very existence has been deliberately hidden for centuries. But... There are others on the hunt as well, dangerous foes who are desperate to claim the prize for themselves and will stop at nothing to get it. Captain Burnham and the USS Discovery are sent to retrieve a mysterious 800-year-old Romulan vessel until the artifact hidden inside is stolen, leading to an epic chase. Meanwhile, Saru is offered the position of a lifetime, and Tilly's efforts to help pull her into Tilly's efforts to help pull her into a tangled web of secrecy. The hit Paramount Plus original series, Star Trek Discovery, prepares to embark on its fifth and final season in April. Since its debut in 2017, Discovery has earned widespread acclaim for its dedication to diversity and for redefining the Star Trek franchise for a new generation. The show's unique strength lies not only in its captivating narrative and award-winning world-building, but also in the groundbreaking representation it brings to the forefront. As the lead of the series, Sinequa Martin-Green made history as the first black woman to helm a Star Trek series, and the last season broke additional barriers as she became the captain of the series' main starship, the USS Discovery. The show boasts an ethos of inclusivity, also blazing trails in LGBTQIA representation in sci-fi storytelling, and in TV in general, featuring the first on-screen intergalactic same-sex couple as well as multidimensional, non-binary, and trans characters. This final season 
We'll see our beloved crew embarking on a new adventure and celebrating the show's bold storytelling over its past four seasons as it continues to honor Star Trek's legacy of infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Star Trek Discovery Season 1 through Season 4 are currently streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus in all those countries we mentioned. Season 2 and 3 are also available on the Pluto TV Star Trek channel in Switzerland, Germany, and Austria. In Canada, the series airs on Bell Media's CTV Sci-Fi channel. Star Trek Discovery is distributed by Paramount Global Content Distribution. So we get a two-part opener on April 4th. We have a bit of a plot summary here, which gives us a little bit of information, but not really too many spoilers or anything. We know there's some important stuff that's going to happen, but I'm very curious about this. 800-year-old Romulan vessel because you'll remember, guys, when we went from our time period in Discovery the 2250s, we shot ahead uh, almost 900 years. It was like 913 years or something. I can't remember the exact count anymore. But that means that the Romulan vessel that we see is from 100 years beyond Discovery time. And we know what that time period is, right? That's our TNG years. So... Uh, kind of exciting. There's going to be a little bit of TNG discovery crossover would be my guess. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I, I for one, I, it's a bittersweet ending for me because I love discovery. Um, and I'm not afraid to say it. It's one of my favorite Star Trek series, just for the reasons you just mentioned. You know, I think next to TOS, discovery is, is the cherry on the top of the Sunday. And I'm very sad to see it go. Um, and 10 episodes, it sounds like a lot, but it's going to fly right by. So, I, you know, and two episodes on one night, I don't like that. I want, I, that's just going to make it end quicker. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. I'm really sad to see it go. I hope they replace it with something equally as good. So, yeah, we'll see. But you're right. It's going to be a Romulan ship from TNG era-ish. So that's going to be exciting to see how they tie that together. Maybe they'll find some DNA from Sela or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, And they have released the names of all the episodes. So if if you guys would like to go out there and find those, those are available out there. But they've... um, I try not to look at them too much because I don't want too much of a clue, but so I'm not going to read them on the air, but if you want to go look at the episode names, go check them out. They're out there. All 10 episodes have titles available for you to read. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, and Paul isn't here. So uh, Charles, you want to jump in and, and do Paul's story? Or David? Charles is muted, maybe. So maybe David. Charles is muted. David there we go, Charles. Cooking. <laughs> David's David cooking. Cook. So. Okay, so go, Charles. All right. Star Trek, Star Trek Prodigy is the purest Trek of the modern era and not just for kids. With all the Star Trek shows currently in production and on the air, like Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, and Lower Decks, Prodigy seems like a show to skip. It's Star Trek for kids. The show is accessible to all, but not just long-time Star Trek fans. 
The show eases fresh audiences in the Star Trek universe. Prodigy works wonderfully given that it strips down what Star Trek is to its core and introduces introduce it to a new cast of characters from the ground up. As the new characters learn about Star Trek, Starfleet, and the Federation, so does an uninitiated audience. It's a great way to get new fans into the franchise. Similar to Star Trek Discovery, which took ta- uh, took its tale, its story well into the future to avoid messing with any can- canonical stories set in the Star Trek universe, Project does the same thing similar taking place way on the other side of the galaxy. Star Trek Project Season 1 suddenly removes itself from the majority, major universe for the most part of the season. Season 1 explores the unknown part of the galaxy, which brings the crew towards a more familiar. The Janeway hologram is seemingly our only connection to the known Star Trek franchise in the beginning but the story barrels towards a larger threat that affects the entire Federation. Star Trek Project Season 1 uses characters who are less fortunate survivors in need of a better life. Characters who were oppressed, alone, and dealing with their own personal traumas. This ensemble cast is how Project characters are able to remain existing and their new fans of what Star Trek is meant to be. Hope for a better future. And it's reasoning with our project crew are seeking out Starfleet, hoping to be part of a cause and get a better life from the ones they left behind. It's a beautiful way to remind audiences what the promises of a bright future means to those who are without hope. And at the end of the day, the ultimate of what Roddenberry intended. Definitely wholeheartedly, it is a good series, and it's it's a di- it's a different series. It gives us brand new characters, except for Janeway. We pretty much start off with a brand new set of characters. We eventually get back to Starfleet, but it's a series we, worth looking into. We don't uh, we don't know yet exactly when season two is going to drop. Aaron Walkie didn't really uh, have any information on that to give us when we had him on the show. So we're just going to have to sit and wait. But you can catch it on Netflix, which is, yeah, that's <laughs> the home of Star Trek. Paramount Plus is not the home for Prodigy. So you guys can catch Prodigy Season 1 right now on Netflix in its entirety. Season 2, which is 20 episodes, we don't know when that's going to drop or even how. If they're going to drop it all at once or how they're going to do it. But Prodigy Season 2 is is done and will be here soon. Does anybody have any, has anybody heard anything as to when that might be? No, nope. because I don't know. No, nope. they, they haven't. 24. Yeah. Yeah. There hasn't been any more yeah. than that. Yeah. So it's going to be sometime this year, but we don't know when. You know what? I just had a terrible thought. You know what would really be, would be really bad is if they dropped Prodigy at the same time as Discovery. That would stink. I mean, even though even though it's being distributed by Netflix, I mean, it's still a Paramount production, right? So, I mean, the only reason that Netflix would do that would be to be (laughs) 
to try and be in competition with Paramount yeah. Plus, I guess, with their own franchise. That feels like something that just wouldn't happen. I don't know. Yeah, I'm hoping that it's after Discovery. Uh, that way we can have the adequate time to talk about it and not have to cram a lot into one podcast. Because I hate when they do that. Guys, so do you remember that that, that stretch where we had continuous Star Trek for like a year? Yes. It was amazing. Yes. The golden Ugh. age of Star Trek. The golden yes. we'll age. Never, <laughs> we will never see that again. That, that was a seem like of, it. <laughs> we had like, what, 50 consecutive weeks of new Star Trek every single week. We got that spoiled. Cool. 40, yeah, that was some 40, 40 some weeks. Yeah, it was, it was mid 40s. 40 yeah. some weeks. Yeah. yeah, it was good. Yep. It was it was a great stretch there for a little while. All right, guys. So I think we have time for one more quick story here. So uh, Star Trek's greatest hero isn't a human and isn't even in Starfleet. When you think of Star Trek's, Star Trek's most honorable heroes, your first thoughts probably go to the various captains like Kirk and Picard. And if you're a fan with a particularly good memory, maybe Rachel Garrett. But what about non-humans? Easy. There's Spock, Dax, Worf, Kira, Data, uh, Unichin Riley. The list goes on and on and on. Star Trek's actual greatest hero wasn't wasn't a human, but also was never involved in Starfleet. All you have to do is think back to the brilliant Star Trek movie, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and the Klingon Chancellor Gorkhan. So what exactly makes Gorkhan Star Trek's most worthy hero? Three factors. Primarily, first, Gorkhan finds the courage and conviction to set aside his own prejudice and that of his species in order to create peace for future generations. Gorkhan sees a bigger picture, something that forces him to acknowledge and come to terms with his own past failing and the violent history of his species. Then there's Gorkhan's sacrifice. His mission for peace comes at great personal expense and leads to his own death. This was a risk he would have recognized right from the beginning, but he remained resolute throughout and undeterred by the prospect of treacherous plots from those surrounding him. Finally, you have the impact of Gorkhan's actions. In the TNG episode yesterday's Enterprise, alternate timeline where war is once again broken out between the Klingons and the Federation, leading to the death of billions. This, or another war like it, would undoubtedly have begun again in the prime timeline had Gorkin not carry out his mission. The signing of the Kittimer Accords saved an unimaginable number of lives and was a direct consequence of Gorkin's actions and sacrifices. It's time to put some respect to his name. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, probably one of the most honorable Klingons that we've ever seen, right? Like, the guy put his own... In fact, the, the thing that is really remarkable about him is he's one of the few Klingons that we see who isn't a freaking racist. Like... <laughs> Yeah. He actually he actually approaches conversations with openness, and he actually has some diplomatic tendencies, and he's actually able to hold a conversation. Um, but I do think that he's not any less Klingon for it, right? Because his he acts with honor. Um, he approaches his own death, although he knows it's coming. Uh, I think with with 
with honor and bravery. And I'm absolutely positive that he ends up in Stovacor at the end of the day. And what was cool was that, you know, remember when he died, um, we get his daughter taken over as chancellor. Azitbur takes over, right? And until we learned about Laurel, we actually thought that maybe she was the first woman. But, of course, clearly not the first woman chancellor of the Klingon Empire. But um, I just love his character so much. I always wanted him to have a really, really good card in Star Trek Attack Wing. He's got a card, but it's not that great. (laughs) Yeah, I... I never got to meet David Warner. Of course, he was in the best Star Trek movie ever, Star Trek V, as Sinjin Talbert, and um, he was in Tron. He's been in a lot of great stuff, but I never got a chance to meet him. He was in Chain of Command. He was the the Cardassian that interrogates Picard. Um, oh, he, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his his Cardassian portrayal is, uh, is creepy. Is really, really... Like, he's... Just he's such a good actor. It just really, you come through and you're absolutely terrified of this guy. Yeah, he was he was awesome. I I wish I had got a chance to meet him, but yeah, I, I agree. I think Gorkhan. I think he is the definitive character. I think he shaped everything, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, know, he's the, you know. well, and what's, what's cool is I feel like um, Star Trek VI did a really good job. I mean, we've talked about Star Trek VI on the podcast before, but it does an awesome job of being a springboard of how did the Federation get from the TOS era to the TNG era. So we were just talking about that tonight, you know, and what we'd like to see Section 31 cover. Well, Gorkhan is literally the springboard of those next 80 years and what, what, the universe looks like and the, the kind of friendship and like um, cooperation between the Klingon empire and the Federation. Absolutely. It, it sets the, sets the tone for the future for sure. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our show, believe it or not. So I want to say thank you to Paul for hanging out and Trek talking with us. And thank you to David and thank you to J dog for calling. And of course, thank you to Ray for calling us from the Bronx. Uh, we love You're to welcome. hear from I thought you were cooking, David. I got done just now. Oh, you just got done? All right. Well, thank you for for joining us in Trek Talking with us, David. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you so much to Eric for hanging out with us tonight as well. Yeah, you bet, guys. Thanks. This is always a blast. And thank you to Charles for hanging out in Trek Talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Thank, Thank you. Always a lot of fun. And uh, just to let you guys know, next week we're gonna we're gonna uh, kind of we're gonna go off the beaten path a little bit, and we're gonna talk about one of those um, uh, forgotten polarizing. episodes or often polarizing, skipped uh, <laughs> uh, 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 over episodes, uh, one of the fast forward episodes. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, a lesser discussed episode. We're gonna talk about the empath. And, the quick episode. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, when I was just, I was thinking, what can we talk about? What haven't we talked about? And I realized we never talked about the empath. And then I started looking, and not a lot of podcasts talk about the empath. So guess what? Truck Talk is going to tackle the empath. So you guys can head over to our Facebook page and tell us what you thought about the empath and give us a score. Because next week we're going to tally up the fan scores, see what you guys thought about it, and see what we thought about it so you might be surprised that'll be next thursday same bat time same bat channel i'm your most excellent host uncle jim saying please remember star trek fans are the best fans be good to each other 
and stay safe. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Prepare to be on the Live long and prosper. Good night, y'all. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.